0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, thanks for the uh, thanks for the birthday present. That was pretty dope.
1: Did that come through on the audio? I hope up. it did. It <laughs> oh, no. It was one of those terrible party blower sounds. Tell you what, add one of those in in post so it looks like I, I played that. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll just I, let I'm you pretty... look like a fool. No, 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 I'm sure you can handle that. Uh Trust me, if he put several seconds of silence instead of a party blower, know that that's just Zach doing his nonsense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> happy birthday dude
0: yeah thanks uh that was that was uh oh geez that was only two days ago it feels like an eternity ago uh but yeah that, it was fun thank thank you a lot do anything fun uh we had five guys which is my my usual go-to and watch the dark night as i want to do from, <laughs> from time to time
1: uh what does this make it the 172nd time or
0: not quite not quite it's we're at 138 now
1: not bad <laughs> <laughs> i I'm counting don't down know, days uh, until we
0: hit 200 that'll be that'll be fun
1: Yeah, those that don't know, Zach can recite the entire movie.
0: Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. Word for word, I can quote the whole film.
1: It's impressive. Maybe we'll we'll do that as a sign-off sometime. (laughs) Oh,
0: geez, yeah, just a a (laughs) two-and-a-half-hour sign-off.
1: If you ever notice an episode that's like a a basics episode that should be like an hour, and you see it's actually four and a half hours long you'll know what happened
0: yeah the caveat to that is i have to be watching the film to do it properly otherwise it takes Mm -hmm. me a lot of time but like i can do it in time without with the with the the actual actors i don't have to hear it first and then recite it obviously that Mm -hmm. that would be cheating but
1: well anyway uh we got some call time to get into this week the day that we're recording this is the streamer day so a little while ago i was watching lsv play some games we're in a new format i'm excited
0: yeah, this is episode number 32. And as Ben mentioned today, we were talking about Kaldheim. This is our Kaldheim format breakdown episode. We're going to be going through all the archetypes you can expect to see and uh, some comments on different, different cards that you can expect to keep an eye on. And we're changing the format up a little bit. We'll get to that in just a bit. But before we do, of course, we got to plug the Discord. That's the best place to go if you want to interact with us outside of the show and any of the other community members here. We have channels for all sorts of things every draft format we're gonna have one for call time coming up here uh, today or tomorrow as well Uh, we have a bunch of general channels just for for hanging out memes and such and a number of groups for for looking for group type channels so if you're interested in joining the community there and communicating more with with all of us that's the best place to do that We're also brought to you by you, the listener via Patreon. That's right. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. That's our primary and in fact only sponsor now at this point. So that's the best place to go to support us directly. If you, if you're so into that, we have a ton of options. We have different things like stickers, access to the full show notes, custom deck building opportunities with, with the two of us, as well as access to completely uncut and unedited versions of the show with our usual pre and post show shenanigans. Um, Once we hit $50 a month, total we are going to start uploading video versions of the show so that's kind of our short term goal at the patreon over there we're pretty close to that already so definitely give that a look if that's something you want to see us do as well but that brings us to a crack a draft type thing ben why don't you walk us through this This is our first Caldheim crack a draft type thing
1: right so we're going to start it off nice and easy with a pack one pick one so first up we've got woodland chasm this is a snow land it's a swamp forest it enters the battlefield tap these are pretty high picks and black green is kind of where you want to be uh, black, green, and blue are the snow colors, but not into first picking one of these.
0: Yeah, probably not.
1: Next up, we've got Jaspera Sentinel. This is one green for a 1-2 elf rogue with reach. It has tap, tap and untap creature you control, add one mana of any color. Well, I like seeing one mana mana dorks, but I do not like having to tap a second creature to use it.
0: Yeah, it's a weird effect. We've seen this before, and it's nice that um, this actually and i might have a templating wrong on the one i'm looking at this this does require tapping in uh, an untapped creature as part of the cost correct it's not of the effect
1: yeah that's right
0: yeah so so that is that is pretty uh pretty annoying
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep um we've seen this before and it usually ends up playing out a little better than completely unplayable <laughs> but uh let's move on next we've got wings of the cosmos this is one white for an instant target creature gets plus one plus three and gains flying until end of turn untap it you know mm-hmm. this is a pretty Innocent looking combat trick, but I like it this. Uh, I like this one a lot. Uh, you're getting three pretty significant effects for one white mana at instant speed. And this is the kind of format where I value the one mana slot pretty heavily, especially at instant speed, given the ability to say, foretell on turn two, then foretell on turn three, and leave up a one mana thing, mm-hmm. or play a two drop, then foretell. I think the one and two drop slots are going to be pretty interesting in this format. Mm-hmm. Now, Wings of Cosmos, uh, the ability to untap and give flying and give plus one plus three. This can uh, eat a flying attacker, uh, even as like an ambush because it untaps it. This can untap something just to get the one three and, you know, eat a, a you know big ground attacker. Or if worst case scenario, you could just jump an attacker to get through the last few points of damage.
0: Yeah, this definitely is a weird kind of uh, combat trick in the fact that it's it's more defensively slanted, but it's going to allow you to eat attackers that you, you know, your opponent's going to think they have an attack that they don't have. It's going to, like you said, get in for those extra few points of damage if need be, and I, I expect this is going to be one of the higher-picked higher, higher picked, uh, combat tricks. It's probably up there uh, as one of the better combat tricks in the format.
1: Mm-hmm. Seems great in the double spell decks as well. Yeah. Next up, we've got a Null. This is one blue for an instant, counter-target artifact, or enchantment spell. I believe this was last printed in original Theros. Of course, that's a set where there were just enchantment creatures running all around i do not like a null in this format i think the only time you'd play is if your opponent has an entire deck made of sagas and that uncommon series of equipment
0: yeah there just aren't enough targets in the set for this to be that great uh this is probably just a sideboard constructed card to be honest
1: yeah next we've got coma's faithful this is two in a black for a three one elf cleric with lifelink when coma's faithful dies each player mills three cards seems Hmm.
0: fine it's aggressive it'll gain you some life i I don't know if the mill's gonna be super relevant um there is like a a minor graveyard sub theme in this in this format but um i am certainly not looking to first pick Coma's faithful
1: definitely not next up we've got strategic planning speaking of things we're not interested in this is one of the blue for a sorcery look at the top three cards of your library put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard well in a format where you could be foretelling things for two mana or just casting very powerful two drops why would you want to do this?
0: Yeah, this this is a little weird. I, I'm not sure where this is gonna end up in the format, but definitely not a first pick.
1: Next is Tuscari Firewalker. Probably the only card I'm excited to see so far. This is two and a red for a three two human berserker with boast for one. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn.
0: Yeah, I mean one of the things that red decks tend to run out of or tend tend to fall short on is card advantage or at least uh, the ability to draw cards. And mm-hmm. this isn't exactly that, but it does get lands off the top if, if you play around it correctly. Um, and it does continue to fill your hand up. So to speak. So I, I and it's an aggressive card that isn't expensive to boast. I think this is going to be a decent three drop to have in any red deck. So certainly the pick for me right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Any red common creature that can get you out of a you know late game top deck war help uh, get you into that late game gas seems good to me. Next up, we've got Sculptor of Winter. This is one of the green for a two two. It's a snow creature, an elf rogue, and it has tap untap target snow land. But here's a mana dork, uh, but again, kind of situational.
0: Yeah, situational. It's also a two mana dork. Um, I guess it's a two two body, so you're you're there on the vanilla test. But we'll see how, how a Sculptor of Winter works out. I think it'll actually be more useful than than I originally anticipated. Uh, mm. But but we'll you know we'll have to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah. Next up, we've got Raiders Carve. This is three mana for a vehicle. It's a four four. When it attacks, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it on the battlefield tapped. It is crew three this was crew one or two. This could be pretty strong. But uh, once you get to crew three, it's a little uh, I don't know, this might see some play. I'll probably try it out. It has a sizable body and does actually get you card advantage. Kind of like a goblin
0: guide. Yeah, yeah, it's a little better than the wayward guide beast will say.
1: But yeah, okay. Uh, as for, you know, interacting with lands and tops of libraries and decks and such. Uh, I'm not looking to first pick this either. I'm still in the Firewalker. Same. Next up, we've got Infernal Pet. This is two and a black for a two-two imp. <laughs> it's it's got some pretty funny art. That this little guy is eating a fairy or something. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Infernal Pet, and it gains flying until end of turn.
0: Definitely a good card for the the second spell decks. Uh, I mean, it fits nicely in the black white the black white decks. It's going to get bigger. Um, you know, it's a permanent. Uh, permanent buff that it's getting Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the flying aspect but then it's like a build your own uh, fearless fledgling right so you know that card did did wonders and I I think Infernal Pet's going to see some play for sure
1: yeah it only takes playing two spells a turn twice before this thing's a 4-4 flyer and then it just sticks around Mm -hmm. as a 4-4 afterwards
0: yeah notably like this is less powerful than than the fledgling right landfall's a lot easier to hit more reliably than Mm -hmm. casting two spells like how frequently can you expect to have two spells a turn but there are a lot of cheap spells that are worth playing in this format so yeah I think Think once you hit that two two triggers uh, sweet spot, you're going to be happy to have this.
1: Next, we've got Dusk Wielder. This is one black for a one two elf berserker. It is boast, pay one, target opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. This is just stone cold unplayable, right? Unless you have like super berserker or elf synergies.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Notably, there was a deck in Kaladesh, uh, in both the remastered and kind of the original, more so in the remastered, uh, that involved Night Market Lookout, which is a very similar-looking card, where you just played like five Night Market Lookouts in hopes to drain them out. The most important part about that card was that you didn't have to pay anything for that. Uh, if you're jumping your mana into Duskwielder, you're not curving out. Or if you're not curving out, then you're just playing an underpowered one-drop.
0: Yeah, I mean, this also has to attack through something right so it, maybe it's going to trigger once but then like it, it's a one two so it's just going to get eaten
1: mm-hmm. next to our own comments we've got rune of speed this is one in a red for an aura rune enchant permanent when it en- enters the battlefield draw a card as long as enchanted permanent is a creature it gets plus one plus O oh, and it has haste and as long as enchanted permanent is an equipment it has equipped creature gets plus one plus O oh, and has haste these things seem sweet all the yeah. runes
0: i mean taking out the drawback of auras that you know allow you to get two for one like the fact that this replaces itself and all the runes do make them way better than the average aura uh, mm. i would say the red one's like probably on the lower end of these runes i think plus one one plus haste isn't going to be really all that beneficial that often but uh, it does replace itself and they're pretty highly picked do you take this over to scary firewalker
1: i do yeah i actually like this quite a bit i think this makes up for one of the biggest weaknesses of the red decks which is uh, they start running out of late game gas And then maybe every once in a while they top deck a creature, but then their opponent also gets the chance to top deck before the red deck gets to attack again, Maybe they put all this work into getting their opponent to four and then they top deck their four, four. But if their opponent then has an extra turn, well, then, you know, they can get out of it. But with this rune of speed, if you attach this to an equipment, then all of a sudden you have an equipment laying around that's you know presenting a real threat. It turns any top deck into just a game ender.
0: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, the equipment's still going to have an activation cost, so you, it's not like it's just a free attachment. But uh, mm. yeah, I mean, that that that's, that's fair to say. And I, I'm curious to see how this actually ends up playing out in the red decks.
1: Yeah, notably these uh, these runes you can equip or you can enchant anything. So if you need mm-hmm. to, you can just cycle this away on a land. Next we've got Doomscar Titan. This is four red red for a four four giant berserker. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus one plus zero oh, and gain haste until end of turn. And it has foretell. You can foretell this and then uh, play it for four in a red.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you take you take presumably. I think with this this particular foretell card you're gonna want to go something like two drop three drop foretell this and a two drop on four and then Mm for like actually cast this on five so that everything's getting in uh and you don't really take any turns off from casting creatures Mm -hmm. it's a Six mana four four otherwise, uh, but it does kind of do the pump thing. I, I expect to see this this this'll see play. I, I don't know really where to rate it. It's probably like I don't know, C, C plus maybe.
1: Yeah, I'd probably have it a little higher than that as like a C plus or B minus. I think I'd be this is probably my pick from the pack right now.
0: I think that's fair to say, yeah.
1: So the next one will eclipse that. We've got Blizzard Brawl. I'm not passing up a green removal spell. This is one green for a snow sorcery. Choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control. If you control three or more snow permanents, the creature you control gets plus one, plus O oh, and gains indestructible until end of turn, and those creatures fight each other.
0: So, how many snow permanents do you need in your deck to actually be happy about this card? Because there's zero. else on the field, right? For it to you get it need to the upside.
1: Yeah, you do need to have th- three snow permanents. Uh, th- this is, it checks, you know, just the, if you have three. There's some snow cards that look to see how many you have. Maybe you get uh, a scaling effect, but this one is just one and done. I don't know. This is just a rabid bite, right? Green's playing big creatures. Uh, There's six sixes in this format. This is just a a solid removal spell in any case. And if you can get this indestructible off, then just immense upside. So I think taking this first pick allows you to then start picking up these random snow lands, maybe starting to look at wheeling that Sculptor of Winter or even that Woodland Chasm. And then uh, once you know that you're going to be in snow, you can kind of start to edge in on that early start not passing snow stuff start sending the signal that you're kind of in that snow lane and then hope to uh maybe pick up some snow in pack two uh, and then in pack three as well
0: yeah yeah i I agree i i've just uh wanted to point out that you know for the listener that that there is going to be you know you have to kind of think about this card as being that latter half as opposed to the whole thing in most mm-hmm. cases Uh, because maintaining that uh, like getting enough snow cards or snow permanence to actually hit that three on the battlefield at any given time is going to be relatively difficult i would think mm-hmm.
1: the upside of this is that you're just going to put it in any green deck and then right. start to take snow stuff if you happen to get there great if you don't also great. you got a rapid bite or uh, a fight spell rather um what's the one i'm thinking of not rapid bite that's the that's the uh uh, the bite spell pray upon that's what i'm thinking of oh, okay yeah i'll correct myself before the discord gets me there you go finally in our rare slot we've got mask wood nexus this is a four drop artifact here's a here's a funny line of text for you creatures you control are every creature type the same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield so this is just everything in your deck everything in your hand all of them are everything so here we've got, uh, as our last ability on this, three, tap, create a 2-2 two, two blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling, which of course means that it is also every creature type.
0: Yeah, so you just windmill slam this, you open uh, the world tree in your next pack, and and off to the races.
1: Oh man, the, uh, the wombo combo. I'm absolutely in to try that. However, given that it's the start of the new format and uh, I'm torn between wanting to get some wins in finding what the good decks are and just trying out some absolute nonsense. Uh, that being said, I think the correct pick is probably Blizzard Brawl or Doomscar Titan. The, the cool pick and what I would probably do is the ne- Maskwood Nexus.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Maskwood Nexus is an interesting potential payoff for some of the more um, creature type related strategies like the elf decks. They mm. let you pick up any other utility creatures you might want to get that aren't elves um, and, and you know allow those to work into your game plan but I think those decks tend to be a little too niche to actually like want to start. Like you're, you're not really taking a colorless card if you take Mask with Nexus, right? Like Most of the time, you're probably considering this is close to a gold card, I would think. Mm, it's it definitely, really fits a couple of strategies.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely more of a green card. I don't think you can just put this in a red-white deck and hope for it to work. Right. Uh, I, I do think this is a pretty bad rate, all things considered. This is four mana to not really affect the board of the game state at all. And then three mana to start making two twos. That's yeah. nothing to write home about. This would have been great. Like 15 years ago <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. in modern magic we're looking for our one mana removal spells and our you know five four hastes right yeah definitely so what's so that- your pick here
0: uh, yeah, I think I think I'm on the Blizzard Brawl as well.
1: Mm-hmm. As, as well, you're implying that uh, that I would actually take the Blizzard Brawl, it being the correct pick instead of Maskwood Nexus. The oh, fun, sure, sure. Pick. Sorry. You,
0: you mentioned that if you weren't going to take the Nexus, you would be taking Brawl <laughs> or the Titan. So, uh, yeah. That, oh, no, I'm so
1: obviously wrong. taking the Nexus. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Do as I say, not as I do.
0: <laughs> Speaking of, uh, I, I guess maybe that's a, a segue. <laughs> um, that brings us to our fairy Tibble. If you're new to the show, this is the section where Ben and I go over. Uh, something great that happened, the Teferi, and something terrible that happened, the Tybalt, um, and maybe some changes to that coming based on our listener questions, which we'll get to. Uh, but but yeah, something of the last week that went well and something that went poorly. So Ben, why don't you kick us off with that?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So I'll start with my Tybalt this week. It's the end of the marking period. I told you before the show started that I actually spent an extra like hour today in school uh, writing exams and starting to make those up. And then thinking about how even once I have all this, I'm going to have to grade all those exams. And then thinking about even after I grade all those exams, I still haven't graded all the labs yet from a week ago. And then I realized that I'm also doing a lab this week, so I'm going to have to grade those. And uh, well, yeah, you get a, a bit of a, a storm on the horizon.
0: Yeah, and then you realize time's coming out this week and you're not going to be able to get uh, any of those things graded.
1: Yeah, obviously I have priorities. I'm, I'm going to play called huh? <laughs> like uh yeah so i'm just gonna try to work as hard as i can while i'm in school and potentially stay after although the the long days and uh, i had a snow day yesterday weirdly enough oh, um, no. didn't really snow much kind of more of a slush Yeah, but.
0: i was gonna say we hardly got any snow and we're not that far from you
1: no yeah it, it kind of threw off my schedule though it was nice to have a, a little break but the switch back to full virtual for one day as low, uh, you know in addition to the, the looming stresses of teaching uh in a school while COVID is happening is uh, a lot for anybody i think yeah that being said, uh, my Teferi for the week, I came home today to find a few packages on my door uh, from some uh, unnamed card ordering services, and uh, let me see if I hold this one up to the camera. Y- you recognize this guy?
0: That's a three-fairy, folks. It's Teferi Time Reveler. He's showing me on, on camera at the moment.
1: Yeah, and uh, here's a card that I've actually never owned before. How, how, uh, yeah, that's, that,
0: that is the literal counterspell.
1: Uh-huh. I've never Blue-blue actually owned counter-target counter ca- spell. <laughs> counterspell. <laughs> Um, people tend to think of me as the mid-range and occasionally, more recently, aggro player. Uh, I like going as mid-rangey as it gets. Give me Planeswalkers, give me Siege Rhinos, give me Tireless Trackers, and I'm a happy camper. However, in my commander playgroup recently, I got kind of stomped on. While I was playing Bruna, uh, who's a, a Voltron Aura's commander, uh, I realized it was it was the first commander deck I ever made. It needed some upgrades, and it's time to show my play group that I'm not just the typecast mid-range Selvala player. But, uh, I, too, know how to play blue cards. I'm just going to jam this deck full of brainstorms and serum visions and counterspells and, of course, the usual Aura payoffs and uh, start giving my fellow blue friends a taste of their own medicine.
0: I'm curious to see how that plays out.
1: Mm-hmm. How about you?
0: Well, for me, uh, I I'll start with my Teferi. I had a very productive week. It's been been a very nice um, self improvement week, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've been getting way more organized. I've been very focused on trying to organize, like physically organize the space around me and, and likewise, try to organize my thoughts and keep myself focused. (laughs) Um, I'm working on launching a new blog, which, which should be fun. Um, Mm. any of you who, who were in the Runeterra space may know that I blogged about Runeterra for a little while. I worked for uh, a site called Runeterra CCG where I I wrote regular blog posts there, but, uh, this is more of a lifestyle blog. Probably won't be writing about magic at all. Um, Mm. Just more of getting my thoughts on paper, kind of thing. Potentially mm-hmm. just talking about different things that I use. Or I'm also a big fan of photography, so probably writing about some of that stuff as well. Um, it's and good also, too. Oh, thanks. Um, I also started my first main project at work as well. So that you know, it's just been overall a very productive week, which has been great. I'm a little exhausted, but. Um, you know, I, I'll take what I can get. Mm. And then of course, call time's coming out. So, you know, I can't, can't be upset <laughs> from that either. Yeah. My tibble is that unfortunately, I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but there are only 24 hours in a day and that's not enough time to do all the things that I want to be doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I've said a few times that if I could take a pill of some sort that would prevent me from having to sleep just to get back that extra third of my day, I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: Oh yeah. Hands down. I mean, I really enjoy sleeping. Like it feels great to sleep, but if I didn't actually have to do it, i certainly wouldn't.
1: No way. I don't want to spend a third of my entire life doing some stasis thing, just (laughs) sitting still. No, absolutely not. Yeah, could be drafting. Come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Well, that brings us to our listener questions of the week. We'll start off. We have two this week. Uh, we'll start off. Wolverine asks, what is your favorite magic mechanic of all time? We read this a couple of days ago, I think, at least, and both of us started scratching our heads. This was a tough question, Wolverine.
1: Mm-hmm. So I've actually come up with two answers. Uh, one is my favorite, like I guess, evergreen mechanic, and then the other is my favorite specific set mechanic, I, I guess. So I'll start with my evergreen trample. I love trample. The ability to trample through, uh, something just feels right about it. Something feels mechanically correct that, you know, if you have a dinosaur that has trample, there's no way a 1-1 soldier token is going to be able to stand in the way of, of, you know, protecting my dinosaur from getting through, right? It feels flavorful.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm.
1: My favorite set-specific mechanic? Gotta go with investigate. This one's probably from... Uh, before a lot of people's time, but this was from our second trip to Innistrad. We have another one coming up. I I doubt we'll be getting investigate again. It was kind of centered on the flavor of... uh, Something strange happening on Innistrad, no one really knowing what it was. Of course, it ended up being Emrakul. Now, in those clues, there was actually uh, a whole lore story unto itself. Magic players... Uh, I-, I guess I should probably just explain the mechanic first. So um, let me talk about Raven Inspector. This is one white for a 1-2. Uh, it's probably like a human soldier or something. And when it enters the battlefield, you investigate. So when you investigate, you create a clue, which is a colorless token. It has pay 2... Sacrifice this artifact to draw a card so it's a it's a nice little card draw mechanic. It's smoothing uh, And then of course there were clue synergies when you uh, You'd call it cracking a clue when you cracked a clue You could go and do a certain thing or it cracked a clue look at the top few cards um one of my favorite cards in the set was Tamiyo's Journal, where you could crack three clues to two to your library, and then you'd investigate every upkeep. It's part of one of my favorite decks uh, at the time. It was kind of like a green-white clues deck. And, of course, Tireless Tracker. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, you investigate, and whenever you crack a clue, she gets a 1-1 counter. So something about clues has always just felt right to me. Now what I was going to say is that in the art And the flavor text on the clues, it actually hinted that the Eldrazi were coming back to Innistrad. Uh, People were like freaking out when they saw it, looking at pouring over the pages, uh, so to speak, which actually was a card from that set, I believe, Um, trying to figure out what, you know, what, what was going on. And they analyzed the flavor text of each of the cards and found that if you took one word from each of the uh, each of the uh, clues, it spelled out, remember, they came as three, which I believe was a quote that Ugin said to Jace uh, like a while ago about the Eldrazi or something like that. So it it was a great time. I love everything about clues. Got to give my all time favorite mechanic. Plus, I like drawing cards.
0: Yeah, so I mean it kind of along that line it, it, for an evergreen mechanic and maybe I'm skirting the line of what you can really call an evergreen mechanic cuz it doesn't have a keyword, but draw a card is my favorite mechanic <laughs> in magic, like just full stop. Um What about
1: cycling? That that says draw a card on it.
0: That's fine. Yeah, I guess I guess cycling will will give that, but it's not technically evergreen at this mm, point. Yeah. Um so I would say well I'll say cycling just just for 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 the sake of that, uh, that argument mm. there, um, outside of cycling, that's a, it's a tough question. Cause I like a lot of different mechanics. I like the weird ones Fortel is probably going to be one of my favorites, uh, going forward just because they, I liked,
1: you're a fan of morph. Yeah,
0: I was a big fan of morph. I like the, uh, the whole mind game aspect of things. Mm. Um, and you know plus one plus one counters are kind of cool when i play con- uh, creature decks i'm a fan of those but most of the decks that i like to play are, are... and honestly the real the real like down to my core answer to this question is mill but you yeah. know i i can't be that guy who goes on a podcast and tells everybody that mill's his favorite mechanic that's ridiculous
1: well you just did so oh, <laughs> congrats
0: Well, next up, uh, Rob Dies at the End asks, in light of the fact that the new Tybalt may be better than M21 Teferi, are you going to make your Teferi Tybalt segment into something where you tell us something kind of good that happened and then something really good that happened? (laughs) I love this question. This is hilarious. Hopefully, Tybalt actually is good. He's never had an... Well... I guess Rakish Investigator actually was a decent card and does see play in a number of formats. So it's not fair to say that he never had a good card, but his first iteration was just so laughably bad that mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever have we'll ever ever be able to change it.
1: That's the thing. I think we should look at extremes here. I guess we can look at like how this Teferi, uh this M21 Teferi was just fine. But if we look at something like Teferi Hero of Dominaria or uh, three fairy uh, Teferi Time Raveler, and then look at like the average Tibble. So uh, Tibble from War of the Spark was fine, and Tybalt from this set is good. But I think Teferi, on average, we could even go back. Teferi, Mage of Zalfir, is also a pretty busted card. So I think, on average, we've had much better Teferis than we have Tybalt's. I don't know. Maybe we could... uh, uh, Something about... The original Tibalt being just so absurdly bad, I think still earns it this place. I think if we start even considering like relative magnitudes, it's just eons worse than yeah. many of the I don't know, even worse Planeswalkers. And I don't think we can count count the uncommon ones uh, because sure. I think we're talking about like if we're talking about relative power level of Planeswalkers, I think we should probably just look at the rares and mythics. Yeah, you have to keep rarity
0: right? in mind too. Yeah, but it, you have like you have to remember too. I mean, you specifically, not the listener, because I, I think we've mentioned it once or twice. But there's a there's an inside joke there with Tibalt. With us as well because mm, you went yeah. on that whole Innistrad <laughs> pack opening streak where you overpaid for Innistrad packs and then their last one opened Tybalt like that's just the biggest letdown of the century so you know, yeah I, I think yeah I, think I wanted an Avacyn I, yeah well you could have just bought an Avison. you probably spent more on packs than you than the Avicen would have cost
1: I did. I did spend more. <laughs> <laughs> I was a child. I didn't know how money worked. I didn't know how to count. I don't know. I could simply order things online. This was this was a uh, uh, before. You know, I was part of the you know group of people who listened to the professors' uh, various just buy singles rants. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. now I know.
0: All right. Yeah. So we're on to our Kaldheim format breakdown show. This time, like I mentioned, we've changed our format a little bit. Uh, Typically we dive right into the two color archetypes and then we talk about the five commons and uncommons in each color for those archetypes that fit that archetype. And then we move on. This time around, we're going to start with the individual colors, each of the five individual colors before we go on to signpost uncommons and then talk a little bit more abstractly about what each archetype is trying to do as a plan rather than specifying a bunch of specific cards without really talking too much about what the archetype is trying to do. Um, So we'll go through the individual colors we'll give our top three cards in that color at the start, and maybe what that individual color is trying to do by itself, and then we'll we'll get onto the the multicolor archetypes. So Ben, why don't you kick us off with white?
1: Sure. So for white, in general, it's going to be an aggressive color in this set. It's kind of uh, winning by attacking. That's going to be the primary game plan for white decks, and we're going to have a double spell theme. Now, when we say these kinds of things, these are just general overviews. I'm not saying necessarily that every single white deck has this, but we did look through the entire spoiler, we poured through it, and we found what they tended to support. So we found that there's a lot of cheap spells, a lot of things that are good at attacking, some power. Powerful one drops, uh, and you know, cards that are going to win the game via attacks. So we have a few top white comments to be on the lookout for. We have right now as our top common bound in gold. This is two and a white for an aura. Enchant permanent, enchanted permanent can't attack lock or crew vehicles and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they are mana abilities. This just does it all. Yep. Next up, we've got Doomscar Oracle. This is two and a white for a 3-2 human cleric. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you gain two life and it has foretell for just one white. This card just seems very versatile. Uh, The ability to foretell this on turn two, play it on turn three, and then foretell another card immediately. Uh, This just seems like it goes in every white deck. I feel like there's no white deck that doesn't want this.
0: Yeah, agreed. I've seen a lot of people saying this actually is an underrated cards. So maybe we placed it higher than a lot of other people are. But uh yeah, Doomscar Oracle seems great.
1: Mm. My reasoning on this is we've seen three mana three twos add uncommon uh, with gain for life staple to them. This gains you six life, uh, which seems pretty reasonable to do, uh, or potentially even more than you've just got a great common on your hands. yeah Last up, we've got Stalwart Valkyrie. This is three and a white for a three two angel warrior with flying, and you may pay one and a white and exile a creature card from your graveyard rather than pay the spell's mana cost. So because white seems to be able to get in early, affect the board early, maybe trade off early, this is going to be pretty easy to cast reliably on turn three uh potentially turn two
0: yeah agreed uh white does have a lot of flyers as well um and so that's going to be one of their other like smaller game plans uh, but two mana, three two flyers is, is always good how about blue so on blue we've got basically blue is kind of the foretell color um blue white we're gonna see is is kind of the, the foretell archetype but blue seems to have the most uh foretell cards in and of itself and a lot of them are quite good. Um, so our first blue common here is Ravenform. This is two and a blue for a sorcery. Exile target artifact or a creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 one, one blue bird creature token with flying and has foretell for a blue. So just a, a great removal spell that can be had at one mana. Yeah, sign me up.
1: Mm-hmm. I've actually come down a little bit on this card since uh, since we did our, our ratings. I think it's probably still one of the top like, you know, five or so blue commons as it is pretty strong unconditional removal. This is going to take care of something like uh, Essika's chariot or something like that when this is great it's gonna look awesome however i don't think this is gonna be as good against your you know average like four mana three three that you just need to remove because then downgrading into one one flyer isn't actually that significant i think this gets a lot better if you have a lot of flyers too uh, that are gonna outclass the one one Uh, so i might have come down on it a little i don't know if i still leave it as our top blue common but uh, in fact i think our next ones might outshine it a little bit
0: Sure. Well, our next one is Augury Raven. That's 3 in a blue for a 3/3 three, three bird creature at common. It's it has flying and it has foretell for 1 in a blue. So again, this is a, this could be a potentially a 2 mana 3/3 three, three flyer. Uh if you thought the Starwort Valkyrie was good, this does come down later than the Valkyrie most likely, but you know, you, there are some shenanigans there on both sides. Um you're still putting four mana into the Raven, but over two turns it can be pretty big a pretty big swing there.
1: Mhm. I've been seeing uh, in a few of the games that I watched earlier a pretty common play pattern of foretell one of these four drops. There's this one and there's one in green that we'll see as well that are both three threes. 3s uh, Foretell this on turn two, just slam the 3-3 three three on turn three. Yep.
0: Uh, and then our next uh, blue common here is Bind the Monster. This is blue for an enchantment aura, enchanted creature. When Bind the Monster enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. It deals damage to you equal to its power. An enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So this is kind of, uh, you know, the... the um, bubble snare from zendikar rising though you do take some damage here um i think this is going to be the premium removal for blue in this Mm -hmm.
1: yep so these are a few of our you know top comments for the color there's another one that i wanted to look out for i think it's like a like a two four but if you have something that shares two creature types it comes in with a counter on it maybe that's an uncommon i don't know i was thinking about that one as well blue seems to be pretty good in this set it has a lot of ways of manipulation, uh, whether it's drawing cards or interacting with opponent's creatures. Seems like a recipe for success, especially when you're cheating costs on it with Foretell Yeah, definitely. Next up in black, we've got, you know, the usual uh, kind of black game plan of great removal, graveyard shenanigans, a good amount of recursion, especially through some of the multicolored sagas. So black decks are going to tend to win games by kind of grinding a little bit. Uh, they can get aggressive as well, especially in the black-white deck where they're trying to double spell and play some of these... Uh, smaller creatures that get in early, but they also have the ability to go kind of late. So up first we have Feed the Serpent. This is two black black for an instant, exile target creature or planeswalker. Wow, all right.
0: Yep, just nothing nothing to say here.
1: Yep, awesome. Love it. Next up is Way Down. This is one black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, exile a creature card from your graveyard. Target creature gets minus two, minus three until on a turn. We were actually back and forth on this one. Uh, we were talking about whether this was up there or if it, other things should be up here instead. But I, I do like this in our top three comments right now. Imagine that this just says uh, one black, creature gets minus two minus three can't cast it until turn three right, like yeah or something like that right yep this gets a little better if you have ways to say mill or fill your own graveyard too and last up uh, we have Jarl the Forsaken this is three and a black for a three two zombie cleric with flash when Jarl the Forsaken enters the battlefield to destroy target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls that was dealt damage this turn and it has foretell for just one of the black I've been yeah. pretty impressed with this kind of effect in in recent sets the so one of that Coria really overperformed uh, and giving this one foretell just seems like it makes it even better
0: yeah it makes it a lot less annoying to keep up right holding up four mana is a big tell whereas in this case holding up two is really not giving too much information to your opponent and you're not wasting anything if for whatever reason you don't get that main effect you can still slam that 3-2 and, and get on with your day or hold on to it and, and waste two mana but at least you didn't waste four.
1: Mm-hmm. Be Next on the up. lookout for uh, if opponents attack a 1-1 into your 5-5 or consider doing the same thing vice versa.
0: Yeah true. Next up we have red. Uh, our usual red comments here right? Win by attacking you're going to boast Most boast is kind of the, the, the red mechanic of the set so be on the lookout out for the higher value both targets um we also go through here our, our top commons demon bolt is number one for us two and a red for an instant at common demon bolt deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and you can foretell it for one red so it's a four damage bolt over two turns basically Nice. Yeah. Uh, next up is Frostbite. This is red for a snow instant at common. It has uh, Frostbite deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. And if you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead. So another Lightning Bolt. Also right. nice. This is just a shock that becomes a Lightning Bolt. Can't really argue with that. Uh, can't hit your opponents, I guess. But you know. Yeah. I
1: mean, you're still gonna play this if you have zero snow permanents in your yeah. deck. That, that's great.
0: And last but not least, if you didn't think we had enough removal spells on these lists, uh, our next up is Squash. This is four and a red for an instant at common. This spell costs three less to cast if you control a giant, and Squash deals six damage. That's right, six damage to target creature or planeswalker.
1: So you're telling me I could potentially pay one and a red to deal six at instant speed?
0: Yeah, I heard you liked Royal Eruption, so I gave you a better (laughs) Royal Eruption.
1: Yeah, forget Kicker. I'm just going to start playing Giants. Also, some fantastic art and flavor text. Oh, yeah. Last but not least, we've got Green. So Green seems pretty value-oriented in this set. Uh, It's also going to have the ability to grind out. It also is looking to take advantage of several of the mechanics, including uh foretell however there's, there's some other stuff going on here too some tribal synergies among the elves and some graveyard interaction if you pair it with black so up first we've got elder leaf mentor this is three and a green for a three two elf warrior when it enters the battlefield create a one one green elf warrior creature token and historically unlimited the creature that enters the battlefield and makes another creature has always been one of the best commons in that color
0: yeah yeah the, you just uh, getting two bodies for one card is is just great mm-hmm.
1: And similarly, uh, we have Sarolf's Packmate. This is three and a green for a 3-3 wolf. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, and this has Foretell for one and a green. Now, I've actually, I, I want to bump this one up a little bit. This thing just seems so good. It, it just draws a card. It does everything you want, and the Foretell makes it so flexible.
0: Agreed. Yeah, it's just a phenomenal card. Art is fantastic as well.
1: Mm. And last but not least, we've got Struggle for Skemfar. This is three and a green, a sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature fights up to one target creature you don't control and it has foretell for just one green. This kind of gets around the biggest side effect of uh, these typical four mana fight spells where they they add a counter, that, that kind of thing, like hunt the weak, mm-hmm. uh, in that you usually have to play your five drop, five, five, and then uh, the next turn after that, hope that it's still alive and hope that your opponent hasn't drawn removal and decided to leave it up uh, so that you can then cast your fight spell. Well, what if you just wait till turn six, play your five mana, five, five, and then have this thing foretold immediately and just get value from it right away.
0: All right, that brings us to our multicolored cards. We're going to go through all of the multicolored archetypes and we are going to talk about like I said more of what the archetypes trying to do rather than the individual cards, but we're still going to highlight the signposts and commons. So first up, we have blue red. Blue red is the Wizard's sp- No, I'm just kidding. It's actually <laughs> the giant spells matters deck, and it's more specifically that that giants matter. Um, and our first uncommon here. So one thing to mention as well before we get into all of these, each of the multicolor archetypes in this format have two signposts uncommons, mm. almost three. It's kind of two and a half. Yeah. Um, one of those is a legendary creature. One of those is a saga, and one of those is a land. Um, so we'll, we'll highlight all of those, but I'm just going to you know, lay that out here at the beginning. So our legendary creature for blue-red is Agar the Freezing Flame. It's one blue-red for a 3-3. Legendary creature, giant wizard at uncommon. Whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage. If a giant, wizard, or spell you control dealt damage to it this turn, draw a card.
1: What a sweet design.
0: Yeah, very cool. Art is also phenomenal. Absolutely. This might be my favorite art for the set.
1: You're going to build this commander, aren't you?
0: Probably. Our next signpost in common is Invasion of the Giants. This is blue-red for a saga. Its uh, first level is scry 2. On the second turn, you draw a card, then you may reveal a giant card from your hand. When you do, it deals 2 damage to target opponent or planeswalker. And then the third is the next giant spell you cast this turn costs 2 less to cast. So This also seems pretty good. 2 mana scry 2 is okay, and then you're, you know it's drawing your card the next turn anyway. Uh, it also shocks something... I, yeah, this just seems like great upside. And then our land here is certlin Frostpire. Um, all of these lands are tapped for one color and they enter the battlefield tap. This one happens to tap for red, but then it has an activated ability of two blue, blue, red. Tap it, sack it. Scry two. It deals two damage to each creature. That's right. Each creature also hits your own. Uh, and you can only activate this ability anytime you could activate a sorcery. So what we see here is blue, red is basically giant's tribal. It, it cares a lot about having giants in your deck. Um, you know, you get cost reductions for giants. you have bo- like added benefits to, to other cards. Um, if you have giants on the battlefield, spells are generally okay. We saw squash was one of the red cards that cares about giants. They're generally okay without giants, but they get great when you when you have them yeah there is that small excess damage theme but that's basically just agar and toroff which is a mythic that care about that so not really a huge deal don't read into that too much um does miss most of your giants because it only deals two but probably kills just about everything else so it kind of seems weird it's it's like a you know a strange card to have in a deck that's going to be running small creatures kind of like Cinderclasm we've seen in zendikar rising Mm -hmm. um we also did the math and uh you know, shout out to Sirkovitz as well for, for doing a lot of math before the set came out on various, uh, tribal numbers and things like that. But basically the breakdown for giants in the set, because obviously if you have a giant tribal set, you're going to be wondering how many giants are there. So we have 11 total giants, not including the shapeshifters. Eight of those are in common or uncommon. So only three rare plus giants. And then of course there are a bunch of shapeshifters. Uh, we do have Craven Hulk as the cheapest giant at four mana. And then there are other the cheapest common giant at, at four mana and then there are others at five six and seven mana and then uh strider is a giant frost basically the um the the blue berg strider which is mm. a five mana four four enters a battlefield tap target artifact or creature an opponent controls if snow is spent to cast the spell that permanent doesn't untap during its next untap step so there, there are a number of different things going on with the giants here but um what do you think ben is this deck going to come together that often
1: it seems sweet. Uh, I, I think if you are in the market for this, you'll probably be able to find it. Uh, if you're, if you're, uh, say the agar deck. I don't think anybody else really wants the giant. I mean, the, the giants are fine, but there's just not that many. No one's going to be out there just saying like, "Ooh, I'm going to first pick this." Uh, say giant rare. Uh, there's one that like bounces all stuff except for like giants and wizards or some nonsense like that. Uh, so if you get that, there's a good chance to be able to move right into blue red. Um. I like this uh, this little archetype a lot. I think it's a little strange um, that there's not that many giants. Admittedly, blue has a good number of shapeshifters, right. but and it's kind of strange that the signpost uncommon is such a build around, uh, it, and then it's so specific to it. It, it kind of warps the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your spells are going to incidentally work with it. It's not, I guess, a build around that you have to consider it while drafting. It's almost like a play around. Like the the game kind of gets shifted drastically when Agar is in play versus not. Invasion of the Giants is more just like a, a slow preordain right
0: yeah yeah it's just like a, a cheap extra value spell
1: yeah this seems oh. good uh playing big stuff with the blues uh deck manipulation and ability to kind of go deep on this kind of thing yeah i think it'll come together it looks sweet
0: yeah and we're gonna see you know you, you commented there about it, it feeling kind of weird with the legendary creature thing um we're gonna see a lot of the signposts uncommon here the legendary creatures are seemingly commander plants because some of them don't really seem to fit very well with what the rest of the archetypes trying to do but that that's going to be a recurring theme
1: Speaking of which, let's get into red-green, where we have kind of a, a ramp, but also power theme. Uh, this one seems split right down the middle between our two signposts on commons. So we have Svela Ice Shaper, which is one red-green for a 2-4 legendary snow creature, a troll warrior. She has pay three, tap, create a colorless snow artifact token named Icy Manolith with tap, add one mana of any color. So that's three to get one back immediately. Uh, okay, that's not that bad. And then you have... Six red-green, Tapper. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Is this Golos?
0: Yeah, this is a weird card because it's like how many... You know, how many eight plus mana cards in limited are you really going to have in your deck and how many of them are then going to be in the top four cards of your library? It just seems like a very weird limited card. I don't I don't expect to take this very highly.
1: I'm absolutely going to try it. One place I see this going well is the uh, the mythical five color ramp nonsense deck, in which case uh, that's mana fixing right there. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, it seems interesting, given that Red-Green also seems to be wanting to attack, as we see here in Arnie Slays the Troll. This is Red and the Green for a saga. Target creature you control fights up to one target creature you don't control for the first uh, lore, lore step. St- what, what do we call this? The first step of the saga?
0: Sure. First chapter, I think.
1: First chapter, that works. Second chapter, add one red, put two one-one counters on up to one target creature you control, and the third, you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. So this is essentially red green to have a fight immediately, uh, and it is up to one, so it's not you know guaranteed. Then you add that one red mana and put two one-one counters. So if you just get the fight from this, that's pretty good. One a, a red green for a fight spell at sorcery speed. That's also pretty solid. Red green's gonna play that no matter what. Then you get some extra value from the counters and uh, one red mana, which I don't know, maybe you're ramping into something like a five drop a little early. And then finally you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. I suppose it could help in a race. Uh, it's a little bonus on top. So this one seems to imply that your creatures are gonna be you know, hitting the board and attacking. While Svella seems to uh, suggest that you're gonna be you know defending and ramping kind of strange they don't really play well together you probably won't see them in the same deck that often your deck would have a bit of a fractured game plan but i don't know this fella seems like she's capable of taking over the late game maybe you would put her in a red green kind of beat down deck if you just wanted some late game potential mm-hmm. and finally we have not bold slumber mound this is the land enters the battlefield tapped it's red you can pay three red green green tap not bold slumber mound destroy a target land Create a 4-4 green troll warrior creature token with Trample. I like this one a little bit more than the previous one. This is a land that you can use to blow up maybe potentially one of their value lands, like a snow land or one of their uncommons like these. And then you get a 4-4 with Trample. Like, this is a real creature.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's solid. Definitely one of the better. I mean, it is six mana for a 4-4, but you're destroying an opponent's land while you're losing yours at the same time. So I guess it's actually seven mana uh, for a 4-4. But you do set your opponent a turn back, which I think adds a lot of value to that as well um and a four four trample is is not something to sneeze at
1: yeah so if you wind up in red green start looking for just big dumb beaters maybe ways to ramp into it uh stuff like haggy mob or the snow elf that taps or rather untaps a land so you can ramp out some of these things a little bit early red green seems to want to kind of ignore some of the more subtle elements of the set the foretell the 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 boasting the nonsense and just you know beat face
0: So that brings us to black, white. Black, white is kind of the angels and second spell archetype. They care a lot about having multiple spells cast in the same turn. And of course, angels is the the kind of creature subtype for the colors. Our first signpost uncommon here is Fyria, Judge of Valor. This is two white, black, black for a 2-4 legendary creature, angel, cleric at uncommon. It has flying and lifelink. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Yeah, great. 2-4 flying lifelink that draws you a card when you cast extra spells. I mean, again, you're probably going to trigger this two times and you're happy.
1: And then once you start triggering it, it makes it way easier to keep triggering it. Very true. In fact, uh, there's almost a consideration of milling yourself out with this card.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely going to be something to look out for Um, if you build your deck in such a way that you're expecting you're going to be able to do the second spell thing regularly. By then, you should win the game anyway, right? I would hope so. Our next uncommon here is Ascent of the Worthy. This is the saga. It is one white black and the first two chapters say choose a creature you control until your next turn. All damage that would be dealt to creatures you control is dealt to that creature instead. And the third chapter return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. That creature is angel warrior in addition to its other types so this one's kind of cute it does the thing that you expect it to do you can either if you have a big creature that that can take a lot of punishment you can use that for the same two chapters and maybe it dies in the second chapter and you bring it back or you lose two creatures but you get to bring something back and it gets better when you do presumably uh this seems pretty sweet
1: yeah the first two chapters sometimes just won't do anything uh <laughs> maybe your opponent doesn't attack or maybe you uh you choose a creature, but then they, they blow it out with a removal spell, or maybe there's just no way to actually get this to do anything. I definitely could see certain situations where those first two chapters are pretty worthless. However, if you can get a big enough thing in the graveyard, returning it to the battlefield with a flying counter on it is pretty significant. And this does just ca- count—just uh, this cost three mana. So maybe you could think of this as like uh, a slow suspended reanimation spell yeah, that your yeah. opponent can potentially play around. I don't know. I'm going to try it, uh, but those first two chapters, I'm dubious of, of uh, how effective they'll be at you know doing anything.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because even at three mana, like, how many creatures are you getting back with this that you're really excited to get back with if you played Mm -hmm. this on three? At least, you know, by turn five when you're about to hit the third chapter. If you played this on three, you might have some bigger creatures out. Your creatures are going to trade regardless of, of what's going on, and you know hopefully you're getting something back with this anyway. Mm. Um, but our, our next uncommon here, the, the land is Great Hall of Starnheim. This is a black land, enters battlefield tapped, and it has an activated ability of white, white, black, tap, sack Great Great Hall of Starnheim, and a creature you control. So not you're not just sacking the land, but you're also sacking your creature. Mm. And you create a 4-4 four, four white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance, and you can only activate this anytime you can cast a sorcery.
1: You know, up until this point, I never read that and a creature control part. That's a, that's an interesting cost. Black-white does have a few ways of generating tokens, and of course, black has infinite graveyard recursion. Eh, I don't know. It still seems pretty good. I'm sure you could find a way to use this. Maybe they've put uh, an aura on your creature. You need to sack it to get out under that. This seems versatile enough that you're going to put it in a black-white deck.
0: Yeah, so overall, we see black-white caring about those multiple cards uh, in a turn, multiple spells per turn. Um, that's going to make you're going to want basically a good mix of the cheap and foretell cards to, to really get those triggers reliably, probably going to be able to build a hyper aggressive version of this topping out with something like dogged pursuit that was a kind of a, a hot take from Ben that you're going to see mm. um, something like you know one drop two drop three drop you're taking a million my four drop is dogged pursuit and now you just you know you're at six or seven or whatever now you just can't win hopefully mm-hmm. that's that's a thing that'll be fun but otherwise i don't think dog pursuit's going to be a very good card i'll try it and make it work don't will. worry <laughs> uh, of course there are some graveyard synergies but as we've seen with some of like ascent of the worthy they could fall flat if you're if you have only very small creatures so probably that hyper aggressive version isn't going to care too much about the recursiveness of black in this format um Mm -hmm. angels obviously provide a very powerful payoff and this deck has plenty of early action as well to kind of make sure that you can get to those uh more expensive angels we have cards like infernal pet the uh the two and a black two two that we talked about earlier that gets counters and gains flying and then there's code spell cleric in white which is white for a 1-1 vigilant human cre- human cleric a common when code spell cleric enters battlefield if it was the second spell you cast this turn put a 1-1 one, one counter on it on target creature
1: nice yeah uh, i mean this archetype seems set up to do a, a couple interesting things uh, i'm curious to see how uh how aggressive and then also on the other end how not really controlling but fury kind of tends towards a, a, more, a slower game plan Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see what this deck can do. I don't know. I've always liked black, white, and limited. I'm excited to try this one out, especially with angels running around uncommon. Not to mention uh, a lot of the white rares are just these like busted three drop flying angels. It's like true. There's like there's like four or five three drop rare or mythic rare flyers that all just are, are great. So excited to play this one. Next up, we've got black green. It's got an elves theme in this set. A little bit of graveyard value, a little bit of recursion as well. Uh, First up, we've got Harold, King of Skemfar, who is one black green for a 3 2 legendary elf warrior with Menace. When Harold, King of Skemfar, enters the battlefield, you look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf, warrior, or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I'm absolutely going to be going for that Tyvar achievement. We'll see if that ever happens, Naturally. but maybe a little more for the constructed players. I don't know that this seems pretty great. Uh, it's a three-mana, three-two menace that's almost always going to draw you a card. I mean, it's going to be hard to find cards in green or black that aren't either an elf or warrior, right? Yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Binding of the Old Gods. This is two black-green for a saga. Chapter one, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. I don't even really care what the rest of this says, yeah, right? <laughs> right? It's just a
0: four-mana <laughs> removal spell, which is hitting anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, four-mana destroy nonland permanent, I'm in. Sold. Next up, search your library for a forest card. Notably, it doesn't have to be basic. Put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Okay, so it's a death sprout, but that only hit creatures, right? So this is just a better yeah. death sprout?
0: Yeah, yeah, just better death sprout.
1: And then chapter three, I don't even care what this says. Creatures you control gain death touch in another turn?
0: Yeah, sure, whatever, whatever.
1: <laughs> like, you've already won the game by this point. Yeah, You, you blow up the best thing, ramping, and then pumping all your stuff with death touch for the ability to swing in. Ooh, you know what would be cool? What about the, uh, the death toucher that whenever a creature with death touch deals damage to a player, your stuff uh, gives a poison counters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do I smell a uh,
1: wombo combo?
0: Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I mean, if they happen to have a million creatures out, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah one, okay. one turn kill.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to try it. Next up, we've got elder Hall. enters the battlefield tapped. Taps are green. You can pay two black, black, green. Sacrifice it. Up to one target creature you don't control gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Create two one one green elf warrior creature tokens and its sorcery speed. Okay, it's a removal spell on a land and it makes some tokens. This isn't one of the big yeah. flashy effects. Uh, some of these like reanimate creatures or make these big, powerful things, but this deck cares about having elves and I guess you know removing a, an opponent's small creature isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but this seems one of the lesser-powered tap lands. Yeah, So... Again, um, elf tribal, right? Elf ball. Uh, this deck seems to be able to enable some pretty cool things, including the death knell, berserker, demonic gifts synergy. I think those are two cards that could potentially wind up in this deck anyway. As you're trying to go wide, so demonic gifts might just be decent, okay, uh, as is. And Death null Berserker is an elf, incidentally. So Black Green, uh, I've, I've kind of been kind of sad in recent sets to see Black Green not really have a strong identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really saw this suffer in the last set where we had Black Green counters, but it just did not get there compared to some of the Black Green decks in the past. And every once in a while, Black Green ends up kind of stiffed with you know just Black Green value, Black Green good stuff. And look, I'm not going to complain. I love that. But uh, it is cool to see black green with a little bit more of a, uh, a tribal identity. So you are going to be killing some stuff. You are going to be recurring, but maybe you are going to be looking to get some more uh, elf payoffs as well. Notably, shapeshifters or elves, and there is quite a few of those in green.
0: Yeah, green and blue are the two main shapeshifter shapeshifter colors. So be on the lookout for those as well. So that brings us to green white. Green white is the plus one plus one counters theme for the for the uh, for the format. Uh, very loose though. It's it's like a loose plus one plus one counters theme it doesn't really have any major payoffs or enablers besides you know once you hit rare and and higher can definitely win games with an aggressive start though um and our first uncommon here is maya i assume is how it's pronounced uh bret- manja <laughs> yeah the, the the way all americans would pronounce it uh um, maya the Bre- uh, bret uh bretta bret- guard protector Jeez, i can't say that uh, anyway, Maya is 2 green white white for a 2-3 human warrior. She's a legendary. Other creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 one, one white human warrior creature token. So, uh, universal lord and makes warriors sure i Hmm. suppose that's fine it it is a five mana two three but and and she doesn't notably she doesn't pump herself but Hmm. you know it seems okay our saga for blue uh, for white green rather is follow the imposter one green white for saga for the first two chapters it's put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature and then the third chapter is exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures target opponent controls so you know, beef your guys up and then get rid of their biggest threat. Seems decent. Uh, for three yeah. mana it's not too bad. Low if, you value. Have, if you have yeah, this is one of those situations kind of like the um the what was it? The uh The black uh, white one white are you one? thinking? Yeah, the black white one. Uh basically like Yeah, ascend to the worthy. If you have no creatures on board, this is just like three mana, wait two turns and then get rid of one of their things. Mm. Eh, probably not amazing, but that's fine, I guess. It does it, it. might make them stall because they know that you have the removal on the board, uh, so they may not play out their bigger threats until uh, this is gone, which could be good.
1: Uh, notably, if you want to try something really ill-advised, you could put counters on their creature to give it the highest power. It's true, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you have to
0: target your own stuff.
1: I don't know if that's really how you want to use this They're just probably saying, not. you can't
0: probably not and then our land here is Bredegard's stronghold that's uh taps for green and it has an activated ability of green white white tap sack it put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures you control they gain vigilance and lifelink until end of turn and activate it only when you could cast a sorcery so again that's this brutal. is brutal it is that's better,
1: it, than the, that's better than the saga right
0: <laughs> yeah i mean honestly it, it, it does feel like that because you know you get to spread those counters out over two creatures in one turn they get vigilance life link i mean you're not getting the removal aspect but it does seem pretty decent this kind of feels weird it's like a, an archetype that once it's like the typical like green white tokens strategy go wide tokens but you know maya suggests like the potential to go wide but then is pretty flimsy on her own kind of an army in a can i guess uh, with mm-hmm. landfall also kind of weird that they didn't actually keyword this landfall and then they gave it a landfall ability anyway like i don't know i feel like they could have been more creative with that
1: the same thing happened with Uh, With Tireless Tracker, funnily enough, who was printed right after, uh, was it Battle for Zendikar? yeah.
0: Yeah, everyone was saying,
1: yeah, everyone was saying, we just saw Landfall, everyone still remembers, like, what are you doing? Uh, But, you know, same exact idea here. I I like Maya quite a bit. I I mean, there's going to be times when you just cast her, and you already have, like, four creatures on the board, and then your opponents just kind of looking at the board like oh my god i can't block these things anymore
0: yeah that's true i mean there are a number of other cards at common that that handle giving counters of things you've got guardian gladewalker at in green which is a two mana one one changeling that uh etb puts put a plus, plus one plus one counter on target creature and then there's axe guard braggart in white which is three and a white for a three three dwarf warrior with boast for two untapped uh, ax guard braggart and then put a one- one counter on it um, so he can make himself pretty big and you know that makes him more likely to attack in with the boast effect but overall I'm skeptical as to how powerful the actual like dedicated plus one plus one counters deck will be I think it's going to mm-hmm. be a good incidental addition to the arc to the to the format but I'm curious to see just how wide this deck can go or how tall it can go
1: next up we've got well it's funny I got this one red white equipment uh slash enchantments slash tokens. Uh, This one covers a few bases. So the R's and equipment seem pretty solid this time around. The the rune cycle drawing cards immediately is really great. Uh, And the equipment being kind of a also living weapon-esque in that they can at least the uncommon cycle can make tokens to attach themselves to right away so first up we've got cole the forge master this is red white for a 2-2 legendary dwarf warrior whenever another non-token creature you control dies if it was enchanted or equipped return it to its owner's hand Ooh, i smell an eggs combo in, in constructed <laughs> uh and secondary uh, creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one plus one. Huh. So this kind of covers both when you have a non or non-token thing. Uh, you know, a creature it's going to help recur it. That's pretty great. Uh, you attack in. They maybe want to trade, uh, but now they're not incentivized to because you're just going to get the creature back. This plays really well with end of the battlefield effects. And of course, if they don't trade, you're just going to get in for damage. And that seems to be what Red Woman wants to do anyway. And then this kind of mitigates the uh, the downside of maybe equipping a token with an enchantment or equipment, uh, because then it gets buffed a little bit. This notably just hard buffs the equipment that come down and make the tokens on themselves. Next up, uh, we've got kind of a continuation of the story here, Forging the Tyrite. Sword sword, uh, which Cole is hard at work at in, in his art. Uh, we've got one red-white for a saga. The first two chapters are create a treasure token, and the third chapter is search your library for a card named Halvar, God of Battle, or an equipment card. Reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. You know, out of all of these, this is the first uh, signpost uncommon that I think is just stone cold unplayable.
0: Yeah, it's just bad. I mean... Even if you have Halvar, it's just like, what are you really doing?
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure if you want to put it in your deck if you have Halvar and like Boy. one other art, artifact or something. So like then, what, what's the point? What else is it there for? Uh, really cool art though. True. Next up, we've got Axe Guard Armory. This is uh, a land that enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for white. You can pay one red, red, white. Tap, sack it. Search your library for an aura card and or an equipment card. Reveal them, put them in your hand, and shuffle your library. So this could potentially draw you two relevant cards.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not awful. Um, and it is really heavily going to depend on the auras and the equipments that you have. but it could also potentially draw you three cards if one of those auras happens to be a rune. Mm-hmm.
1: So here's a question about this format. Are the red white decks going to be able to play out their two drop, three drop, equip something, fool around with this kind of nonsense when other decks are going bigger, So an aggressive deck uh, like this, will it be able to curve out fast or you know will it be wasting its time with all this nonsense? Well, the bigger decks are doing stuff like foretelling and playing uh things cheaper than they should be, getting these mana discounts and uh potentially getting extra value from from stuff like that. I don't know. It seems like if this deck doesn't get there immediately, it could just get run over in the long game by a deck that's playing with, like Seraph's Packmate. But like, doesn't that just brick wall this entire like everything?
0: Basically, yeah, I think I think what this deck's going to want to do is the fast decks of this of this archetype because I think that's what they tried for. They wanted to mitigate, like, we can't have a super aggressive red-white archetype because then foretell is just dead, right? You mm-hmm. if, if you can't take turn two off every now and then, you can't really foretell very often yeah. uh, proactively. So I think they intended to slow, slow it down a little bit. I think what this deck is going to really rely on are the flyers in white and equipping and, and souping them up so that they can get through because then you don't really care if your opponent's getting bigger on the ground. You're still just getting in for damage on in the
1: air. Mm, we do have that cheap one-drop Raptor with uh, the one right. two first strike. We've got Starnheim Courser, the two and a white for a 2-2 two, two Pegasus with flying. Uh, artifact and enchantment spells uh, you cast cost one less. So we've got options. Yep. There's definitely ways to, uh, <laughs> to get through here. And notably a lot of tutoring, which which... which I do think is a cool design direction. I I like where this is going. Uh, We have a bunch of red white uncommons and there's multiple instances of like tutoring and drawing cards. That's a good sign for the future. I just don't know if this is the right set for this to get there in.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Definitely going to keep an eye out on this archetype for sure. Next up is red-black. This is kind of the, as we've come to know and love, the Sack Reanimate archetype. Um, in this case, our legendary creature is another one that feels like a commander plant. We have Carter Scourge. This is two black-red for a 4-3 legendary demon berserker. When Carter Doomscourge enters the battlefield, until your next turn, creatures your opponents control, attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. Very. very Wait a minute. What other game. player? <laughs> And whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That that part is probably going to be relevant in limited. Um, definitely shaping up to feel aggressive, right? If you're attacking, you want your attacking stuff to die, like you just want to start sending stuff in the red zone. So that, mm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, our saga here is two black red. The first chapter is you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, Carter, Carter's vicious return deals three damage to any target. Okay, turn build your own lightning bolt. That's fine. Um, Second chapter is each player discards a card. And the third chapter is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it gains haste until your next turn. So this this gives you two different instances to get a creature in your graveyard. If you don't have something to sack, then, you know, the first chapter basically does nothing. The second chapter forces you to discard. That's not really a may, but you're going to so you're going to be filling your library or filling your graveyard up. Mm, discard a big thing then
1: right and then just reanimate it on the, the third chapter that seems good exactly
0: And then we have immersturm skull cairn this is the land it taps for black enters the battlefield tapped and is has an activated ability of one black red red tap sack it it deals three damage to target player that player discards a card activate only time you can cast sorcery that's pretty dope that that sounds really good
1: definitely winning the uh tongue twister contest for card naming
0: very true very true i am not gonna be able to pronounce that very often correctly um <laughs> Yeah, so obviously this this deck has a lot of sacrifice synergies. There are a lot of graveyard synergies. Look out for cards that, that die into other creatures. You may want to actually be attacking into... Like, making attacks that seem wrong uh, to try to get value out of these reanimation themes. We'll see how that plays out um, and how these decks come together. The um, there There is that, that combo of Haggy Mob and Rune of Mortality, which... Haggy Mob allows you to ping things and Rune Mortality gives your creatures Death Touch so you can kind of get going with the uh, the little Death Touch ping or the machine gun effect, as it were. Mm. Um, also, keep an eye out for two drops like Immersturm Raider. This is one red for a two one demon berserker at common when it enters the battlefield you may discard a card if you do draw a card this is kind of the fissure wizard of the set Uh, we typically see at least one of these rummaging type uh, effects on a two drop keep an eye out for that there's also village rights which is a is black for uh, an instant at common that says sack a creature draw two cards that'll be very good fodder for this deck as well.
1: Also some sick art on village rights.
0: Yeah, I like this one a lot more than the last iteration of this card.
1: Agreed. Next up, we've got blue-black. This one's got a few things going on, but snow and reanimator are two of them, and this one's going to take a more controlling aspect to win in the game. So It's got a pretty loose uh, set of of a signpost on comments here they're not really pointing in in the same direction let's start off with uh probably the the most ridiculously named character in the set narfi betrayer king i don't know when i'm thinking of a four three legendary snow creature zombie wizard i'm not thinking narfi yeah, what that's true.
0: It sounds more like a pixie <laughs> or something
1: yeah exactly so uh although i will say this thing's pretty menacing other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one plus one and you can pay snow 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 return narfi betrayer king from your great graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Hmm. Nice. Yeah,
0: I'm, not, I'm not sure how often you're going to get there on the triple snow thing. Uh, it's, definitely going to be doable uh, but Mm -hmm. you know we'll have to see exactly how frequently that's doable Uh, there are other zombie creatures so his lording situation is going to be decent uh, but we'll see we'll see you know how many of those are really playable
1: yeah snow concerns me uh, because if you're taking snow cards highly then you're giving up high draft picks that you could otherwise be spending on taking removal or just good creatures and then you're doing that for what hoping to to get there the thing is uh, we, we often say that it's occasionally worth taking lands in other sets like maybe dual lands that have of like, you know, gain a life or uh, cycling land, some things like that, because typically you will end up getting, you know, as many uh, playables as you need, at least in like most modern magic sets. However, we don't often advise, you know, taking those super highly because there is a cost to giving up draft picks. Uh, in some sets in particular, the cost is mitigated by the fact that every card is just pretty good Like in cube, that's why you can take lands second pick uh, because all the cards are bombs, right? And uh, unless you're looking for some unique effects, you can just take lands pretty highly. But here, uh, I don't know. Next up, we've got the Trickster God's Heist. This is two blue-black for a saga. First chapter, you may exchange control of two target creatures, okay? (laughs) So like, if you have a 3-3 and your opponent has a 3-3, this just does nothing, right? Unless they have some unique effect. I guess this turns your worst creature into their best creature and vice versa yeah is that good
0: it'll very drastically depend on the cards if they have like you know the set's biggest bomb and you have a one one token it's gonna to be pretty awesome but you know it's very very context dependent
1: i noticed black has a bunch of ways of making two two zombies but even those aren't you know the worst thing in the world and i feel like white and uh, has some of the smaller stuff that you really want to be trading off and black has some ways of making these tokens but not the really small ones next chapter is you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type so <laughs> okay. specific. this might just not do anything that there might not even be legal targets for this in most board states if you have played all uh all basic lands and all creatures which is you know not an absurd thing to happen for two players this just does nothing
0: yeah, it's also, like, largely going to be irrelevant in a lot of situations. You know, you're still, like, you know, the first thing that came to mind when I read Non-Base was like, ooh, you can trade off your dual lands. But then it's like, okay, you're still giving them a dual. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it's you're like, probably just color screwing yourself if you do that. Like,
1: And, yeah, the fact that they have to share a card type. So, it's not like you could give them a land and take their really good equipment or something it, this right. just doesn't seem to do much third chapter is target player loses three life and you gain three life also this, not one, relevant. this one seems pretty weak yeah although i will say uh this one does actually have some lore applications uh if you look very closely at the art uh cole the forge master who we just met in red white things don't look like they go very well for him <laughs> Yeah, not so much. Next up, we've got Port. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tibble's having a great time with that sword that Cole poured all his hard work into. Next up, we've got Port of Carfell. It's a land, enters the battlefield tap, taps are blue. we got three blue, black, black, tap, sack it, mill four cards, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tap. So notably, it does not have to be part of those four cards. Yeah, I mean, this is a land that gets back your best and biggest thing from the graveyard.
0: So yeah, it does only hit your graveyard. I would like to see this hit both graveyards just just because you know it's extra added value. But you know we'll, we'll take what we can get. I guess mm-hmm. that
1: land honestly seems like one of the most powerful, un- uncommon uh, you know signposts yeah. we've got, especially in, in in this archetype. I think if Narfi gets there, clearly just being able to bring back a four three even tapped every turn is pretty incredible but you do have to get there on snow for that uh, i don't know this is gonna have the usual blue black stuff lots of good removal lots of good interaction and some pretty uh, good value creatures you know for, for what they do uh, we actually see one that i want to make everyone aware of a brine barrow intruder this is one blue for a one two human rogue with flash when our etvs target creature and opponent controls gets minus two minus o until end of turn oh zulaport duelist he's back better mm-hmm. than ever Oh, yeah. This one this time he's got a, a whole extra toughness. Jeez, they just keep printing Path to Exile in blue over and over again, don't they? <laughs>
0: All right, so next up, we're on to blue-green. And blue-green is kind of the main snow archetype you're going to see in this format. There's also a minor shapeshifter theme. Most of the shapeshifters happen to be in blue-green, uh, but that doesn't really bode for anything that's really going on in the in the archetype overall. They're kind of incidental. So our first uncommon here is Morit of the Frost. It's two green-blue-blue blue for a zero zero legendary snow shapeshifter. It obviously has changeling. And it says you may have Morit of the Frost enter the battlefield as a copy of a permanent you control, except it's legendary and snow in addition to its other types. And if it's a creature, it enters with two additional plus one plus one counters on it and has changeling. Sure. You know, you just beef up your creatures. Uh, You can also just copy anything else. Uh, seems solid. I mean, it's a five mana card and it's kind of hard to cast as a lot of these legendaries are,
1: but it pairs well with big ETB effects, too
0: true next up is the three seasons which is blue green this is the the simic saga for the format we have oh, the, the first art. character oh it's beautiful
1: yeah the carving in real life amazing
0: yeah yeah, yeah. some of the art for the uh, the sagas here they carved out of wood the artists and then they they use a picture of it for the art for the set yes yeah, awesome uh, however the the three seasons is uh blue green for a saga. The first chapter is mill three cards second chapter is return up to two target snow permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand and the third chapter is choose three cards in each graveyard their owners shuffle those cards into their libraries it kind of feels like a lot of do nothing to me
1: yeah you're gonna take a lot of game actions with this it kind of reminds me of binding the titans um yeah like okay (laughs) a lot lots of stuff is happening here you're moving some cards around you can potentially get some cards back you gotta have enough snow for this to actually work. If you have enough snow stuff in your deck, sure, whatever. But but why doesn't it return three things? And it's called the three seasons, right? Why yeah, is it returning return two? two? Everything else is like, mill three, choose three cards in Graveyard. Why is it only return up to two?
0: <laughs> Honestly, your guess is as good as mine. And of course, our land here is Lit Yara Mirror Lake. This one taps for blue, and it has the activated ability of two green, green, blue, tap, sack it. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Activate this only anytime you could cast a sorcery. That seems fine, I guess. You're turning a land into a copy of any of your creatures that might get buffed. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Seems decent.
1: I like the tendency of these kind of effects now to put additional power onto the creatures. Uh we also saw this with turn timber symbiosis, so it, it's kind of right. negating the feel badness of when you don't have a good hit. Uh it makes right. your hit a little bit better just kind of by default. So th- I think this is a good direction for gameplay. Um it's also yeah, something you can easily
0: tweak, right? Like if if they mm. if they find that like, you know, you have a, cre- a, a set where you have a ton of extra um you know a, a ton of really powerful creatures you could always just put a clause on this that says like if its power is higher than whatever don't it doesn't get a counter but otherwise it does uh, yeah so it's easily tweakable that way
1: so blue green is a bit of a, a looser archetype like we mentioned it's got shape drifters it's got snow uh snow seems to be really where, where you're at um, there, there is the potential to have this. I really got there. snow deck in blue green, where you just, you manage to pick up seven or eight snow lands without really costing you too many draft picks. Uh, if that happens, amazing. You did it. Ha- have fun. And then I think it'll be pretty clear what lane you're in because other people will not really want these snow payoffs uh, just because it is such a narrow lane to be in.
0: Yeah. Agreed. It definitely seems solid. It's going to have its usual simic value nonsense going on. Um, Look to have those ETB effects to copy because there are a handful of cards in this archetype that want to copy permanents and creatures. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. It seems like we might be getting a lot more, like, wedge style decks coming together and this could be a big linchpin in like something with saltai or something of that nature mm-hmm. where you have I like really like... fan zombie synergies and shapeshifters play well in both
1: yeah that's true i really like lit yara kin uh, this is three and a blue for a two four shapeshifter with changeling uh, when it enters the battlefield if you control three or more creatures that share a creature type put a plus one plus one counter on the yara Kinseekers and then scry one so what this is asking you to essentially have is this thing is just going to count for everything, right? So it's asking, do you control two other things that share a creature type? So that could be right. a shapeshifter and an elf warrior, or that could be like a, an elf warrior and a, a zombie warrior or something like that. So I don't think this is that hard to enable. It's pretty likely that you're just going to be playing other shapeshifters in your deck. And there's a lot of repeated tribes in this set anyway. Lots of zombies, lots of berserkers, lots of angels. So I think a lot of the time, this is just going to be a 4-mana 3-5 scry one, which seems great.
0: Agreed. And of course the sculptor of winter works pretty well in this deck given that there's a lot of snow stuff going on. Mm.
1: Next up and last but not least, we have blue white. Blue white as usual keeps a bit of its, you know, uh, blue white skies mechanics. There's going to be a lot of flyers here, but it also is the main foretell color combination. So this deck is going to try to win by getting foretell cards out there, getting value from them, looking for ways to gain value off these foretell cards, maybe gaining life or drawing cards. And then incidentally because you're white, you're going to have a lot of cheap spells and potentially the ability to get some second spell payoffs from some of the white cards that have that. First up, we've got Vega the Watcher. This is one white blue for a 2-2 bird spirit. Legendary. It is flying, unsurprisingly. A pretty sweet owl in that art there. And you've got, whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. Wait a minute, where can we do that in limited? That doesn't happen that often. Yeah, well, that's where Fortell comes in. Would you look at that? So whenever you're casting your foretell, your foretold card, uh, you're drawing another card. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this, is, mean, this is great.
0: Letting every one of your foretell, foretell cards replace themselves is gas. Yes.
1: Uh, the next one is not as much. This is Nico defies destiny. This is one white blue for a saga. Chapter one, you gain two life for each foretold card you own in exile.
0: Eh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of I, weird because I'm I curious. That is, that is one thing I'm curious about going into this format is how many cards are you can have foretold at once mm-hmm. i expect it's probably only going to be one or two most of the time but yeah i could be wrong about that so this is maybe gaining you two or four life maybe for three mana and if you're playing this on curve it's only going to be two life
1: yeah that's what i'm thinking next up we've got chapter two add white blue spend this mana only to foretell cards or cast spells that have foretell this is matter ramp but it's very situational yeah and finally we got return target card with foretell from your graveyard to your hand which, okay, it, it at least draws a card itself. Mm, I don't know. I think you want at least four or five foretell cards before you put this in your deck. And even then, it might not always be great. If you draw things in the wrong order, I just see this flopping.
0: Agreed, yeah. I, Nico might defy destiny, but I think I'm defying this card. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've got Gates of Istvel next. This is a land. Enters tapped. Taps for white. You can pay two. White, blue, blue. Tap and sack it. You gain two life and draw two cards. Sphinx's
0: Rev is back, baby.
1: Yeah, it's more like a cloud blazer, but still okay, really good. Well, you know what?
0: <laughs> it's got it's got Sphinx's Rev activation cost if you could lock the X in it too. I I'm calling it a Sphinx's, Rev. Okay, that's true. I'll notably, give you that. Notably, almost all of these lands mention that you can only do them at, at sorcery speed. This one does not have that clause on it. You can you, mm. cast, you can activate that ability at any time.
1: Yeah, good point. Combos well with, you know, Blue's tendency to do annoying garbage at instant speed. <laughs> So uh, this, this deck looks solid. Uh, I think Vega is a really strong build around. If you put this in your average blue-eyed deck, your average blue-eyed deck will just have enough four cards to you know, go off with this. Like you can put this and just have a base, three mana two, two flyer, and then you're like, all right, sure, <laughs> great. <laughs> Some decks are gonna have trouble with that anyway uh seems like a fine archetype um i think depart the realm is one thing to look out for here speaking of blue nonsense this is one of the blue for an instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand and has foretell of just one so this actually does cost more mana to play uh overall if you're foretelling and then casting from foretell but uh, i think the ability to have that one mana up and you know have a, a bounce spell just available to you seems useful
0: I also I wonder how much equity you're going to gain by foretelling cards that cost more overall because your opponent's going to expect probably those aren't as good or maybe they actually are just good and and people will be playing them but I'm curious if playing like playing the bad foretell cards on as for like foretelling the bad foretell cards could be. Uh, Interesting. I'm curious how much equity you can pick up there just because your opponent assumes that you're foretelling a bunch of other good foretell cards.
1: Hmm, Yeah. Speaking of good foretell cards, uh, God's Hall Guardian is five and a white for a three, six Vigilance, which doesn't look like much on its front half, right? Like this is just fine. (laughs) In fact, this is worse than we've seen. Sometimes these like come in and gain you some life or make a token or something. But this one, in addition to Vigilance, has foretell for three and a white. So this could potentially be a four drop three six vigilance that's thick
0: that i like yeah there's not a whole lot that that tussles with this in the red zone on on turn four and it kind of makes up for anything any tempo you're going to lose on turn two by foretelling this you're going to mm-hmm. gain back by because no nothing can attack into this basically
1: yeah uh, i like the look of this cat the flavor text says that not a single rat has been seen in isfel since the gods moved in clearly this thing is keeping the rats at bay it'll probably keep her opponent at bay too So we wanted to shout out a, uh, what would you call this? An honorable mention? A a hidden archetype? A
0: dishonorable mention, I think, is is where we want to go.
1: Ah, what are you talking about? Five color nonsense. Five color world tree tribal. So, specifically, we're talking about Path to the World Tree. So this is a very powerful spell. This is one in a green for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle your library. And you can pay two white, blue, black, red, green. So that's seven mana. It's a Golos activation, right? Uh, sacrifice Path to the World Tree. You get ready? Start taking notes. You gain two life, draw two cards. There you go. You like Sphinx's Rev? Sure do. Uh, But there's more. Target opponent loses two life. Path of the World Tree deals two damage up to one target creature. You create a 2-2 green bear creature token.
0: It's a yep. lot of text.
1: <laughs> yep, I'm in. So this clearly is suggesting that this is a thing you can do. It's an uncommon, uh, but it does kind of set itself up. It lets you tutor for a basic. You're not playing this if you're just tutoring for a basic with this one of the green to get a basic land and put it in your hand is not a card worth playing in this format i don't think but if there's even the the glimmer of a chance that you could activate that thing you've got to try right
0: (laughs) i mean when you're when you're talking about nonsense and like like, draft chaff nonsense? Sure, I think that's reasonable. How frequently do you actually think the path of World Tree deck comes together? Probably not very often, right?
1: Like, uh, Definitely not in, like, your first draft, of the format, or anything. That just seems really <laughs> unlikely.
0: This seems, honestly, though, this seems like a once-in-a-format Deck, unless it's just so bad everybody avoids it constantly, then you could probably get it when you want it, but eh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to actually do the thing you want it to. And even when it does, like, it does a lot of stuff, I suppose, but by turn seven, does any of that stuff actually matter? Maybe?
1: Isn't this like a five for one? <laughs> like, well, it like, depends. It, draw, I, it draws yeah, you a land. It draws uh, you a with- land, it draws
0: you two more cards, it forces your opponent to lose two life, which might matter, but probably won't matter that much, maybe kills one of their creatures, but... By the time you have seven mana, dealing two damage to one creature probably isn't going to kill most things that are relevant. And then you make a two-two, which also isn't super relevant when you have seven mana on the board. I'm just All right, saying. so let's
1: call it let's call it like a four and a half for one, because I think some of these are real effects. Like th- this can like snipe their flyer that's bothering you. Like them losing two life and you gaining two life, like that can be relevant. That can swing a race if you're if you're racing with Path of the World Tree in your deck. Uh, God help your soul.
0: That's exactly. But, so uh, it's like, like, what actually is that doing for you? Unless but but you're there's other ways to.
1: to it too. <laughs> the thing. There's other ways to get there. Like there's Horizon Seeker. That's two a green for a three 2 human warrior. It has boast. One of the greens, search your library for a basic land. Reveal it. Put it in your hand and shuffle. So you're not ramping. Uh, but this is going to get there. This does technically two for one. Uh, yeah. You've also got Glittering Frost. This is two and a green for a snow enchantment aura. It enchants a land. The enchanted land becomes snow. So put this on your non-snow lands. And then whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional one mana of any color Notably, both of those are snow so all those pesky activations that we we're seeing in the set that cost like two snow or three snow this just takes care of that really easily
0: yeah yeah this this is the card that you're gonna be looking for when you really need to make sure you can hit your snow activations
1: mm-hmm. and there's some other five color nonsense there's aeka of the world tree uh there's the world tree itself every once in a while you're gonna wind up in a really fun deck uh, and i think it's gonna to come together i'm just saying
0: i don't doubt it and i know that you're the type of person who will put it together I just don't think it's actually going to end up being good. Sometimes we see these, art, we see formats where these like hidden five color archetypes are actually quite good when you can mm. put them together. They're just kind of difficult to do so. I think yeah. this is going to be difficult to do so, and also not very good. But I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be proven wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm ready to prove you wrong. So. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, kind of last up here, we did want to highlight the artifacts in this episode. We typically haven't in the past, but kind of as part of our new uh, format breakdown format, as it were, we wanted to highlight some uh, artifacts as well. Um, there is, of course, the Living Weapon cycle. We call it Living Weapon. That's that's a reference to an older uh, mechanic where artifacts would come into the battlefield attached to a zero-zero germ token. In this case, they're not quite that, but they do. There's a cycle of uncommon uh, artifact equipments that enter the battlefield. If you pay an extra cost, they enter the battlefield attached to a particular creature, which is great. You know, any any equipment that can. B- bring its own creature with it is pretty awesome and a lot of those are quite good the white one in particular seems really interesting uh we also have cards like funeral longboat that's right vehicles are back which we mentioned in our mechanic show uh funeral longboat's kind of an interesting one it's two mana for a three three with vigilance and it has crew one so it's way above rate you know three three with vigilance isn't like game breaking or anything but it is a solid card and it's above rate so i think we're gonna see a lot of those floating around
1: i really like vigilance on vehicles uh, yeah, it kind of Uh, negate some of the downside of this thing not really being a true creature, given that you can have it up to attack or block, and this kind of makes playing out your creatures and deciding whether you want to attack with it a lot easier. The answer is usually just going to be
0: yes. Right, and then yeah, anything can crew it, so you're going to be able to get that defender in there as well uh, when Hmm. you need it. Next up is Replicating Ring. This is 3 mana for a snow artifact. It has tap, add 1 mana of any color, so kind of our colorless mana rock for the format. It also says at the beginning of your upkeep, put a knight counter on Replicating Ring. Then if it has eight or more night counters on it, remove all of them, and create eight colorless snow artifact tokens named Replicated Ring. With tap, add one mana of any color. So, it does the thing. This is this is kind of a uh, a top-down approach to design. This was... There's a, there's a ring in Norse mythology that does basically this. Mm-hmm. So, I love the design. Not so sure it's actually a good card. In fact, it's probably just a trap, right? You're going from yeah. eight to 16 mana when you can, and then that's like, what are you... Okay, great, I guess, but you already had eight mana. You probably had more than you needed to begin with. Unless you have some really ridiculous activated ability, this might actually be in your path to the World Tree deck.
1: (laughs) See, this actually could go in the, especially because it's a snow artifact. That being said, I don't think you're playing this unless you are absolutely desperate for fixing and snow. And also, like, the three drop slot just seems like it's going to be full of stuff. You're going to have better things to do on turn three than this, right?
0: Probably I think some of the some of the Sultai snow decks might actually want a copy of this. I wouldn't expect to see it taken very highly, but you know, this is another situation where I'm curious to see what ends up happening with this. Sometimes mana rocks are very important and we don't really have many in this format, so mm. Uh, and then there's also the Runed Crown. Uh, Runed Crown is a three-mana artifact equipment that says, when Runed Crown enters the battlefield, you may search your library hand and or graveyard for a rune card and put it onto the battlefield attached to rune Crown. If you search your library this way, shuffle it, and Equipped Creature gets plus one, plus one. It has an Equipped cost of two. I really mm-hmm. like the way this is templated, because if you only have one rune card in your deck, you don't have to worry about the downside of drawing it and then not being able to tutor it up with this card. I, yeah. think, I, think that I like that they added the hand clause in there. Outside of that, if you don't have any rune cards at all, this is 5 mana to give your creature plus 1, plus 1 is not good. Um, Definitely look elsewhere for your equipments if you can. But I don't know. How many runes do you need to make this worth playing? You're always going to hit with it.
1: Yeah, I'd say you probably want at least 2, right? Um, You definitely... <laughs> the, the, the worst case scenario here is that you have uh, both your runes in hand, and then you draw this, and you're like, okay, so I get to play this, and then free cast a rune, and that's not really that, that's not great. Um, something kind of interesting here is that this would technically let you play an off-color rune, uh, right. given that it immediately attaches. I, I think actually, Rune Champion—that's the rare, right? The one that uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that one gives your runes. You can pay one colorless instead. Is there a five-color runes deck too? <laughs>
0: there might be. There, there, actually might be. The runes are all good, right? They they replace themselves. Even the worst runes mm-hmm. are quite good. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone tries putting that together. I think you need a color couple of Voltron. Yeah, you probably need a couple of crowns, and even then, like five mana to give your creature plus one plus one and find a rune is probably still not amazing because you do need like you mm. can't can't really play this on three and have it do something. It's still a do nothing card on turn three outside yeah. of replacing the rune. Um, you still do get the card off the rune that this. Brings into play, which is nice, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I, I we'll see. I guess I, I don't know what to think about that deck. I, I really wish to see th- it though.
1: Yeah, I really wish this instead said equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each rune that was like equipped to oh, the, the yeah. crown or it. Uh, notably with this you also want to be careful if you have runes in your deck and you're waiting to draw this if you put a rune on a creature it could trade off the rune will go to the graveyard and the crown lets you get get it back Uh, if you put a rune on an equipment uh, that's not the rune's crown this doesn't search your battlefield so you can't like equip this from the battlefield right back to the crown uh so notably make sure your runes are going to like go to the graveyard in some way or else you won't be able to get that graveyard value from this if something goes on an artifact like an equipment like another equipment it's probably going to stay there for the entire game
0: yeah i think i think probably the way rune crown really gets its value is you've played a bunch of runes on creatures that have died and then you get this and you just get those you get to free roll those out of your graveyard and just get mm-hmm. extra value for them all right that's it that those are all the archetypes and all the major cards the main color groups and uh our top commons in all of those so last things last what are you excited for in this set what are you what are you hoping to put together outside of your path to the world tree deck what are you looking forward to ben
1: look i'm just saying pretty soon if not already you're gonna see a post in the discord that in, that involves a very powerful world tree deck uh I can't wait to cast some angels, um, and I'm interested to see how Fortel plays out. We can talk about Fortel all the time. We can talk about it for uh, as much as we want, as much theory crafting as possible. But this is one of those ones where it's really going to be impossible to know until you just get in there and start doing it. Right? Uh, it's just super unique. Um, we haven't seen anything quite like this before. I'm also hoping to see Boast work out and Shapeshifters have some cool synergies. But you know, I, I have a feeling that this is going to be the Fortel uh, set. Like, if we think Mm -hmm. back on Ikoria, people will remember it as, like, the cycling set. Uh, I have a feeling that's going to be foretell here. I I hope not to have those other ones get too overshadowed, but uh, this seems like a a pretty fun format.
0: Agreed, yeah. And I I actually quite like that they have managed to get two sets that feel quite different from each other, both of which have very different mechanics, like things that got people talking for quite some time. And of course I mean, ZNR had the introduction of MDFCs, and of course we see those again here, but they were very novel when, when Zendikar Rising came out. We had no mm-hmm. idea how they were going to play out, how you should take them in drafts, how you should build your decks around them, all that kind of stuff. So it, it that garnered a lot of discussion. I think is going to be the same. The first few weeks of this format are going to be people trying to figure out where, how does Fortale fit into the format and what beats those decks if they're actually yeah. good and what else you should be doing if they're not. So I'm very excited about the puzzle of all of this the new set uh coming out and I, they haven't really done that the last few sets of course they put out mutate which was like you know a kind of a weird mechanic and had a lot of people talking about just like what does it even <laughs> do but beyond that it didn't really garner a lot of discussion and then theros i can't really remember if there was even a, a very uh talked about yeah I, I suppose that's true but escape is just like another graveyard thing it didn't really feel that unique and of course twenty one uh, was a, a core set so that didn't really have anything uh, unique yeah. going on
1: i think underworld breach was probably the biggest talking point of, of theros right
0: that's fair yeah
1: yeah and um, or i guess uro
0: <laughs> well yeah yeah, yeah. besides, pre- yeah, besides individual cards sure
1: yeah, that before we knew what exactly oh, Uro, <laughs> before we knew what we were dealing with, everyone was a little more aware. Can you believe we were more concerned about Underworld Breach at one point?
0: <laughs> this world is weird. But beyond yeah, that, I mean. I, I'm super excited to see if there's actually like a bona fide control deck in, in Limited this time around. Mm-hmm. A lot of times control decks in Limited tend to just be like slower mid range decks. So I'm curious if there's actually going to be a real bona fide control deck that plays a bunch of foretell cards and can actually be. Closer to what true control is from a constructed perspective. I'm also just excited to see what the actual speed of the format's going to be when the dust settles after these first few weeks. Is it going to be fast? Is it going to be slow? Is it going to be somewhere in the middle? Are we going to have control decks? Are we going to have aggro decks? Are we going to. You know, is Fortell going to be a big thing? Is Boast going to be more important than we expect it to be? Mm. Hopefully, the set remains as diverse as it feels right now because it feels like there's a lot going on, and I would be really upset if it turns out that there's just, like, one deck you need to be in all the time. Yeah. That about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and checking out all there is to know about Kaldheim. Hopefully, you're enjoying some drafts or have been already by the time this episode releases, and I'm sure Ben and I will be as well. Of course, if you're interested in talking all things Kaldheim with us and the rest of the community who listens to the show check out our discord the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page and of course if you're interested in giving back to the show or supporting us in any way the best place to do that is patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod like i said at the beginning of the episode we have five different tiers over there and a whole lot of different perks depending on how much you're willing to give any little bit helps and at the very least just share the episode send it out on social media. You know, getting a further reach for the show is also a great way to support us. If you want to reach out to us on social media instead of the Discord, you can do so by heading over to Twitter and checking out my profile at Alfridian or Ben's at Betafish1. And of course, the the podcast directly is at DraftChaffPod. And if you want to email us, you can do so at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. That does it for us, and we'll see you next week.
1: Happy drafting, everybody so we've had an interesting week in history as i feel like i could say for every single week for the past i don't know name a number um uh, yeah, right. but this week in uh in our historical talking points uh we've seen the mass net sum of a a, a subreddit pitted against the mass net sum of the wealthy corporate elite and i gotta say it's fun to watch
0: <laughs> i've had the popcorn going it is it is hilarious I did you actually, have any,
1: uh, any game stonks, as they, as they call them?
0: I did not. Uh, that was something I think the first bit of, like the very first spike where it was like almost, two, I think it was like 200% in that first day where, where people really started to figure out what was going on with that. I mm-hmm. kind of missed the boat. And then I was like, I at that point, I wasn't going to invest much because I really expected it to drop down. And I don't like shorting because you have infinite potential for loss. Yeah. Unless you have like good stop gaps and stuff which a lot of companies apparently didn't have is it's actually hilarious. Like one company lost a hundred percent of their investment on, on shorting that (laughs) stock. And it's like, why would you ever allow yourself to get to that point? Ah, It's just
1: because they they never expected that like so many people from the internet would band together in such an absurd way. Investing
0: 101. Like you just put stop gaps, you have a risk risk to reward ratio and you put stop gaps in place. So you don't lose all your money. Like that's just how you're supposed to invest. Like I'm just, baffled
1: i mean i've heard of drafting the hard way but it sounds like some of these people could use a course on investing the hard (laughs) way
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know man but uh so i don't own i didn't own any gamestop i didn't own any i might own etfs that have now they probably don't even have gamestop in because it was such a like a nothing stock for for yeah so long similar to the kodak situation that happened in the summer like overnight kodak tripled or uh more than maybe Mm -hmm. um and so i don't own any of the gamestop i don't own amc i don't own blackberry i don't own any of these stocks like that wall street bets has been pumping but it's really weird and to, like we did record this episode over two days so you know some some new things popped up um on thursday here yeah which, you know with like all the robin hood stuff and sh- it's just wild it's so so oh, wild. yeah
1: the fact that this garnered government attention immediately and is honestly drawing a lot of eyes to our questionable economic systems that we've got here uh it's yeah. it's so so much like three days ago I didn't think about stocks more than once a week but now um I will say my brother and I were able to get in on some of that amc and blackberry uh pretty pretty early on so I mean as of right now it's it's about where it Was Uh, I I think the way we're viewing it is we're we're thinking of it as a bet on whether or not this Reddit, this subreddit, is going to be able to overcome uh, whatever nonsense the uh, the corporate sector now starts to throw at it. Because you got to imagine that every single like uh, person on Wall Street right now, their primary job is going to be to figure out how do we stop this and how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again, right?
0: See, it's it's interesting because part of me thinks like it shouldn't matter like let Mm -hmm. the stock do what it's going to do. And yeah, I guess people are like coming together to like force the price to go a certain way, sort of. Yeah. And technically that's not legal. Like, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. How do you ever stop that without completely dismantling the current system, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. It might happen, but it won't happen in a, in a, in a quick manner. So I I don't know. It's like weird to me that this is even like an issue. Like just if you, if you really are worried about this kind of stuff happening, don't invest in swing stocks. Like it's not like Mm -hmm. if something skyrockets overnight, probably don't touch it. Like (laughs) it's just, it's just one of those things that like, I don't know. And also a lot of this happens when people are interested in like making a lot of money really fast. And like prop quote unquote proper investing is like buy and hold a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So you know this this also would have been avoided if people were more worried about buy and hold than like making a quick buck overnight
1: mm-hmm. i mean this is absolutely gambling um yeah. but it is but, but like clearly sometimes you you make bank sometimes the gamblers win sometimes you do actually manage to screw over the house uh although I, I guess this is a little different in that this is more like this isn't so much winning against the house like a casino uh, although right. it is a pretty apt analogy this is more like i don't know just picking up one of the uh, <laughs> one of the slot machines and taking it home <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i suppose uh,
1: but I don't know, such is the the way that this has worked. Like, hey, look, they want capitalism, fine. We'll fight them on their field. <laughs>